Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Matthew Chute. Today's Thursday, October 29th, 2020. I'm coming to you now as the Climate Buddha. I haven't produced a podcast recently due to my own life and interest in working on projects other than this, but I'm always working on the Climate Buddha project. I'm always working on it because it's part of my religion. It's part of the model that I have created that'll maximize my chances of success in life. So I have a constant process of reminding myself of the goals of that religion. I have a constant process of working on various elements of that religion on a regular basis. This ongoing commitment to change, personal growth, learning, intellectual growth, physical mind-body growth of an athlete. This is a normal part of my life as part of my religious commitment from many, many years ago. I do believe that this process of continuously seeking out growth and change and being comfortable with that change has to do with your attachment to the present. And if you think the present right now is good, then you're going to be very much attached to keeping that present in any way possible. People of privilege who've got college educations, live in upper middle class lifestyles in America, are out of touch with survival. And and I hope they never actually do get in touch with it. Uh, I really don't think that living on the edges of survival has any benefits to anybody uh, other than the person who may in fact have some economic benefit in slavery or something along the lines of having a victimizable class of people but in general, you don't want to deal with being in poverty and you don't want any part of that as part of your continuum. The people who are in it have been screaming about this for years. They have been saying that uh, you know, their, their poverty has been overwhelming. It's difficult to get out of. So the people of privilege, the people have used their intellectual capacity, their minds to get back involved in their communities to say, hey, I've, I've got some privilege here. I've been given an opportunity in education that's unlike anything ever in the history of the evolution of humanity, college education. In the, there's a, there's a uh, research scientist who's working on understanding what the scientific teaching uh, curriculums were in antiquity to see just what was the scientific curriculum during Jesus' time. And just how many people were walking around with degrees of scientific knowledge. It's infinitesimal. There are so few people that meet even the, the, the slightest criteria of modern day engineering and scientific minds of our medical professions and, and bridge building. That There is simply no evidence of a scientific education of anything like the American, Western, Asian, 
scientific educations. These, the people who've come out of these systems are, are very, very intellectually privileged. Uh, this, this is a responsibility of the academic, academic uh, class to society. I guess on a legal level, there is no responsibility for anyone to take care of anything, especially if you're really well off. There's simply no responsibility to use your wealth to benefit others. You can just continue to buy sea urchins and octopus and tiger skins. It doesn't matter. Your money has no morality. And anybody who says that we should say to anything, say to anybody who has a lot of this money that they should use it in a moral way, they're wrong because it's about, it's about freedom. Well, that argument, when applied to the intellectual and academic class, uh, that argument when applied to the religious class, when that argument applied to the military class, the political class, we have a very stratified society with cliques of people, clatches of like-minded thinkers and whole groupings of individuals who are functioning together underneath a concentration of a power that comes from this tribal grouping that if you were a member of a big tribe you had a better chance of fighting off another big tribe so the membership element of your football team and your basketball team and the membership element of your church and the membership element of your community and your neighborhood and anybody who's been in the HOA world of Florida, homeowners associations are those as well. These, when you start put people together, you group them together and you put someone in charge at the top of the heap. Um, everybody's settles into a sense of familiarity and understanding because this is this is the organizational principles you know of, of our tribal cultures and they they have built-in benefits for survival and they have all these evolutionary benefits and they have all the social benefits that come with groupings of people and are, we come from a bunch of grooming primates I mean the we have a profession of grooming right now. It's called hairdressers, and but grooming itself is part of our culture. We don't we don't typically walk up to strangers on the street and groom them. But during a time in our past, that would not be unheard of. So the thing is, is that these genetic drives for tribal groupings, for grooming behaviors, and all these different things, trying to fit in with the concept of nuclear weaponry, nuclear industry, the military-industrial complex, the kind of money that's involved in international finance. Try to wrap your mind around that, those issues, or my issue, which is trying to wrap your mind around the climate. It's, 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 it takes specialized skill. We're not adapted for this. We're, we're living in a society where we want to groom people and that we, we have this desire to find alpha males who are in charge 
and being able to team up and have these political groupings have some sort of meaning in our lives. This is all a maladaptive series of behaviors for running things. So it, you start looking at persuasion industry, of which I come from. I'm a professional salesman and I have background in advertising, copywriting, and I have trained in acting, and I have researched neuro-linguistic programming, and I have discovered that there are people who understand the persuasion industry levels beyond me. And I've put that much of my life probably 30 or 40 years of continuous effort in understanding the nature of human-to-human -human persuasion. And you discover that if that science that people are not persuaded logically. <laughs> There's just this huge problem with, with math and reality. Because in the end, there's going to be someone who says, yes, I know that your math says that 5 times 5 is 25. I see that. But you haven't convinced me that that's 25. And in fact, I don't think that that number actually is even appropriate. And the fact that you have calculated in this way, I question your, mo your motivations. And I wonder whether or not you have the intellectual capacity to even present the number 25 to me. And hence we see the system of our government is that we have a bunch of very, 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 very smart monkeys running around who've got the Rosetta Stone for communication. They have the access, the money, and they're using that Rosetta Stone. Hashtag hypnosis of the masses asks the question of just what are they selling you? And there's a, a work online and available to you all by a gentleman by the name of Tom Secker. I've actually talked to Tom Secker. Tom Secker's work is about understanding the relationship of uh, the organized communication system of our government and the, and the movies. And through Freedom of Information Acts, I don't know this man personally to be able to find out how he pulled this off economically because I'm sure that was a, an expensive project to do as many Freedom of Information Acts, but he found the entire structure of the mechanisms that have been altering our movie culture profoundly over decades and decades. They're persuading us, they, whoever is controlling this movie industry that I just described and the research of Tom Secker specifically and the people that also do what he does, turns out there's an entire science of looking into just what our secret industrial complex is doing at any given moment because you, oh great privileged, genius, highly educated, engineer level, professional man have no idea what the hell is going on with our entire secret industrial military complex. We, we all have no idea. It's never going to be reported on. There has been one very clear 
missing element of some of our major media outlets, and that is their ability to accurately criticize the secret industrial complex. In fact, report on it in any way other than just peripheral pieces of information. We had to get to Senate level understanding just to get a basic idea of what they're doing. We're funding that. Whatever this is, you don't know what it is and what it does. And we've just discovered with Freedom Information Act that one of the things that it does is it controls our entire media system with levels of scientific communicative technologies designed to convince you something, something. What that something is becomes apparent from time to time. For people with my background and expertise, they point out that, they say, wait a minute, we really don't need a billionaire to run around and solve crimes in New York. We don't need a cop with that kind of ridiculous billionaire-like abilities to go after super criminals that don't exist. And we don't need to spend another trillion dollars on the secret industrial complex to protect us from the Joker. You see, the secondary message of our media and the propaganda that it represents is happening at levels of metaphor and myth. So it turns out that a key component to religious experience is a shared myth. A shared myth that they all can agree on and say, this is our shared myth. But we're going to tell you that it's true. It's not. It's science. We're going to say that this is literal. But every, every religion has a myth. Everyone. They have myth, and the unfortunately, my religion, Chuchi, attempts to be myth-free in embracing the scientific method. But it turns out, in some cases, you're dealing with understanding something through the filter of your own culture and your own background. And there's all these levels that interfere with the human mind's ability to understand a philosophical concept called truth. And it turns out that if you go to a college-level logic class and you listen to the discussion about using logic to find this thing called truth, you discover that you're going to have one heck of a difficult time finding out what is truth and what isn't on a logical level. Then there's this big problem that I continue to bring up, which is this monkey mind which is this maladapted thing that picks fruit off of trees and shares it with your neighbors and protects it from the tribe next door and this whole thing is what's running it. This is not the brain of an interconnected, internet-based, food scarcity, energy scarcity, uh, energy resource depletion uh, model. The growth of capitalism was based on abundance and the ability to uh, tap unlimited quantities of free labor through slavery and the ability to tap unlimited quantities of, rare, of, of raw, raw materials without paying much for them and the ability to transfer tremendous amounts of energy through uh, use of uh, the burning of, of fossil fuels. This, this system has worked 
It's caused our population to grow to 8 billion. It's caused our, our physical uh, manufacturing infrastructure to have a carbon footprint that dwarfs what people can actually do something about. Transportation, the uh, infrastructure of our entire, the pie chart is a big chunk. If everybody stopped doing anything that caused carbon in their houses, this, this existing chunk of, of our industrial infrastructure eats up lots of carbon, emits lots of it. So we've got a structure that did a very good job at getting us to where we are, but now, hashtag logical radical says, wait a minute, we're where on the curve of the climate problem? What? How did this happen? We should have fixed this back when Carl Sagan talked about it in the 80s. This had to be fixed right away. It wasn't. It turns out that the people who were making jillions of money didn't want to let go of their power because they grew up in privilege. The privilege that they had was manifested in having to be in the right place at the right time and in the right industry. And if you were one of those people out of Texas, say, who happened to be one of those right place, right time from the right families, you are now, just because of that karmic little flick of the cosmic tail, you are now one of the most poor, important and powerful people on the planet. This is the karma of our leading uh, class, the 1%. They all have a Horatio Alger story, but these are people of incredible privilege and luck. Ridiculous amounts of lottery winning luck. I play the lottery. I have not won a large sum yet. I believe I will. That's why I play the lottery. I work hard in business because I believe I will someday become one of the successful people's in business. I work hard at my spiritual church because I realize that I may get close enough to the truth where everyone will realize at hashtag universal alignment that I was right. So the preparation for climate change, the idea that our political system is maladaptive for that, Systems change, hashtag systems change party, says, okay, maybe we can use the existing political system. Maybe we can just put together a political party called the systems change party. It'll be an alternative to the Republicans and the Democrats. It, the, the, exas- the existence of this entire party, this third party initiative, is going to be to completely re-engineer the system to something that makes sense. The proportional representational system doesn't make sense to me. If we're going to go with that, then we got to big better. we got to do the new math to handle these population densities and all this. The math of the existing system doesn't make sense. We're not being represented in any meaningful way at any level of the government because the math is wrong. The amount of people supposedly that are doing things for us is just too high. A million person per representative is just too... turns out the whole world organized around about 150. <clears throat> That's about it. So if we were broken down into groups of 150 and there was one person that had 150 that spoke for that 150, now we're at a functional ratio that can make sense for our limitations of our tribal brain size. But no, we don't have that. What we got is a Pope or a Trump or a Wayne Gretzky 
And we get these huge concentrations of power. And we're all looking around going, Wayne, what have you done to solve the climate crisis? And Wayne's going, hey, man, I'm the, I'm the best hockey player in the world. Everybody knows who I am. What I've, been, what I've done with it is I've, I've, I've been the greatest hockey player of all time. That was my job. I didn't have responsibility to do anything else. It wasn't my responsibility to use my brains or my money or anything to help anybody else. There is no responsibility for that. It's freedom. It's my freedom. And you go, Wayne, you fucked up. You were a millionaire and the most popular person to play. You should have said that we needed to listen to Carl Sagan. You didn't. Wayne, you were the most popular, most, most concentration of power that had ever existed in the entire world of hockey at an exponential of... Oh, I'm sorry. There is a guy named Bobby Orr. I digress. No, we didn't expect Wayne Gretzky to solve the crime, climate crisis. We didn't. We did expect our world leaders to solve it, especially the United Nations. We really expected international cooperation at levels that were unheard of when the science became clear to anybody willing to look at a graph and say, you just can't keep adding CO2 to the atmosphere and have no consequence. Any idiot in 10 minutes or less of a science blackboard explanation of the subject would conclude as we have in the near-term human extinction community, in the abrupt climate change community, in the Guy McPherson community, the Paul Beckwith community, the Sam Carana community, and the community of scientists that are looking at the cryosphere right now while they watch it melt. We are all together and united in one profound statement that there has been a huge misuse of public funds, public policy, and public energy that did not include resolving the CO2 crisis because now the consequences are getting so clear to all of us that there simply is no doubt that math is in fact logical and people are not. The inability to get international policy necessary to do this is a limitation of, of the species. It's its greed. It's its systems of bringing together masses of wealth in some orgy of unbelievable male dominance displays and plumage of the peacocks and making sure that you and your friends are this is no way to run the world. This is might be a good way to run a small hunter-gatherer tribe, but talking to social scientists and said, hey, look, if we're going to put together a modern hunter-gatherer tribe, what kind of system would you put together that would make that tribe succeed, you know? And you'd hear, well, we need some specialization. Uh, some, there'd be a medical person. Uh, there'd probably be a, someone who'd be, be large and strong who'd bring down the animals. We'd want that person to kind of run the hunting teams. And then, oh, we need to have food production. We need to have really good structure food production because food production takes up 12 hours a day. So we need really good food structure. And then, and then we need really strong people to carry stuff. Okay, so now I've just kind of engineered a perfect tribe. Turns out that's pretty much what's in most of these tribes, you know, that, that succeeded. You know, that this specialization, these little roles are what our society is. Groomers. Oh boy, our tribe needs to have a good groomer because we've got a big bug problem. Oh boy, you gotta get rid of those fleas. So we have hairdressers now who are the best in the world. And I bet you there's a good groomer. Go back in our hunter gatherer days, you're like, oh yeah. 
Martha was a oh, what a great groomer she was. Boy, when that cat, you know, ate her, I was disappointed because I knew all our good grooming was going to be gone. This is no way to run the place. This references back, you know, to this organizational obsession with concentrations of power that has just been put on exponential, and now we have billion-person religions with one person in charge. The ratio's not right. There shouldn't be a billion people focusing all their energy on one person. That one person's a human. And there's, there, it turns out, it turns out that there's, a, there's, there's just a huge amount of, of information that's now come easily available on the Internet, huge amount of information, about real peer-reviewed academic-level research on the historicity of Jesus, the, exist, the beginnings of these churches and how they formed, church science development, real historic research where you're actually looking for evidence that stands up to peer review. I could, I could cite evidence that I would want, and, and I could just talk about it all day long, but I'm not saying, hey, everybody else who studies the same thing, you know, compete with me. But when you do that type of academic research on history, there's never, you know, a lot of controversy when someone is studying, you know, World War II's, you know. But, but when you're talking about studying 2,000, you know, years ago, 20, 20 years ago, and you're saying, what actually happened back then? What was going on? Turns out there's real research. There wasn't a lot of scientists back then. There was a lot of, lot of stupid people. There were, there were these different casts of, of academia that were, that were based on, you know, learning something that came from the Greeks. And turns out the very origins of our entire scholastic system was being formed back then. And it hasn't evolved much since then. We have, we have a, an academic system that is massively maladapted to the needs of, of humanity. We have got a really good tech school going on where people are being trained for jobs. But we have failed completely at creating and empowering a, a humanitarian movement that was able to tackle the nature of near-term human extinction as a result of climate change. The numbers of when that extinction will occur, and when you use that term in an association with humans, of course there's controversy and there should be. But there is simply no doubt that we are baked in with enough of a climate change problem to make growing food at scale extremely difficult. And once food shortage issues start to take over the day in and day out, um, you're no longer going to work each day. You're just getting up going, food issues, food, there's, there's no food. Can't imagine that. American privilege can't imagine that. This happened to me, by the way. Just want you to know I went through a period of, of economic disaster where legitimately I was down to, you know, 20 bucks. And I stayed that way for months and months and months. It was, it was horrendous. That level of survival is horrendous. With the kind of abundance that exists... And you're down to that level of survival. And you can't get out. You're trying to get out of it. There's this idea that people are somehow... The poverty, they love it. They want to stay there. Oh my God, I was trying my every hour of the day to feed myself in America, parking my vehicle next door to a, a $100,000 car and just saying to myself, this, this, there's something wrong about this. This, this shouldn't have happened. This shouldn't, this shouldn't be allowed to happen at all. To any level of society, including our agricultural workers, you know, the, 
agricultural workers to this day, you know, or the way they currently are handled in the United States, with or without unionization, is is the origins of the American slave, you know, culture. This is still in existence. I mean, we've just simply not figured out how to pay our agricultural workers enough money, and no one seems to want to because you know, gee, anyone can pick strawberries until you've done it. You go, oh my God, this is hard work. You can't pay me enough to, to pick these strawberries. You mean someone goes out and picks these strawberries eight hours a day? You've got to be kidding me. This person should get a hundred grand a year. <laughs> then everyone goes, no, I'm not going to pay my strawberry pickers a hundred grand a year. These people are pretty, you know, they're not very educated. They don't know how to unionize. So, you know, I'm not going to pay them a hundred grand a year. And you go, what do you say we pay them below minimum wage because most of them we can get from you know south america or central america or some way so we don't have to we don't actually have to let's do that so we can get it get it down to to strawberry picking for say 5000 bucks a year per person let's do that we'll make more money in the strawberry business that's for sure this is called capitalism okay so it turns out that there's a huge critique of capitalism people don't want to hear it people don't want to hear that there's someone out there that would say capitalism has critique someone actually's got a problem with it oh well, it turns out that that strategy is exactly what the strategy has been by the, by the capitalists. They've decided that they don't want to have anybody argue with them. They don't want a fair fight. And they don't want to listen to anybody who disagrees with anything that they have to say. But there's one specific person in history that they don't want anybody to hear. They don't want anyone to listen to. They don't want to go to school for it. They don't want to have it show up in popular culture. They don't want to know that anybody nearby knows about it. They don't want to even mention the unmentionable person in history that has a critique of capitalism. They don't want you to know what that guy said. Don't listen to whatever that guy... Don't look behind the curtain. We're going to do whatever we possibly can to prevent an accurate critique of capitalism. Got to be smart to do that, by the way. It's a very difficult system. Capitalistic economic systems is a systems theory issue where you have a number of different factors all coming together, and one of the factors that makes it all make sense is called game theory, where you're trying to understand how people maximize benefit to themselves, and there's all these models based on game theory that seem to be how the place is being run. Well, guess what? There's people who disagree with it and say, hey, game theory is not really accurate. It's not the truth. It's a good guess, but it's just not the truth. This theory is more closer to the truth. So, so the thing is, is that the economic system is a religion. It's a system. It's an extraordinarily complex system. It's a belief system. It's the idea that there's a religion called this economic system. And this economic system, the religion that is this economic system and how it economically functions and the people who adhere to it function like a dysfunctional religion. They don't want other information. You're not allowed to go and discuss alternative information, you know, at the Catholic Church. You're not going to get it. You're not going to go in there and say, I want to learn about the American atheist movement's, you know, history. No, not going to get that there. That's not the message that they teach. No, not going to get that. No, they're not going to teach about that. There's specific stuff they're going to teach about, but they're not going to teach about stuff that's outside of their realm. And one of the realms that the Catholic Church loves to teach on is economics. Their understanding of medieval economics is the reason why our existing system it looks a lot like the economic system of the middle, middle, medieval times that was developed by the Catholic Church. The von Mises Institute, some of these other great philosophical economic think tanks, they all trace it back and say, well, it all kind of came from the Catholic Church. 
This is the Catholic Church's own economic system. They own it. This is theirs. This is their brand. So when the Catholic Church says, you know, I've got a brand for you of economics, it's generally their own brand. They don't, they don't say, well, now that we're Catholics, we're going to discuss other brands of political organization, other brands of economic organization. No, we're going to talk about our brand. And by the way, we're, we're in the adoption business. If you've got some spare time, we'd love to talk to you about the adoption business. And uh, we do weddings and burials. And boy, we've got one heck of a way to uh, you know, bring people together for great music once a week. And people are like, hey, I'm, pff, that's a good social club. I got, and I've got a really good chance of you know, meeting cool people. And, you know. Oh, enough, but if you don't come to my church, we have all sorts of systems of exclusion. Because, by the way, we function as an in-group, out-group, uh, xenophobic operation designed to keep out-group, out-people, out and in people in, and to get the out people who disagree with us. Uh, so this getting the out people issue, um, you know, on a political level, you know, although this is normal in religion, on a political level, when we say, you know, when, the, when, the, when a leadership structure says, look, I'm, I'm representing the people, but there's certain people that I'm not representing, in fact, I'm going to attack them, uh, protesters specifically. If you disagree with me in the streets, I'm going to openly attack you because your disagreement is, 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 is against the dogma of my church my economic political church so the church's systems of in-group, out-group xenophobia, the thoughts of how we just accept our church from excluding any information that's contrary to them we think that that's normal and somehow honorable as part of faith but when you actually include information from other parts with the claims, the scientific claims that occur, the political claims that occur, the economic claims that occur within churches, and you put them under scrutiny, you realize that, they, that their decisions are based on their own self-preservation and growth and have nothing to do with the benefits or the, or, the, or the issues that they have described. It's just been a complete disconnect. And it takes specialized intelligence to see this. It takes specialized intelligence to understand the complexities of these leadership systems and these complex systems. It takes specialized intelligence that's good with systems theory. So the climate is this. So I take a, I take a, I take a religious person who's, who's made a career of figuring out how to avoid listening to other information that's contrary to their dogma. And you say, hey, I've got a piece of information that's called... It's called math, uh, the thermodynamics of, of climate change. And, there, and there's a graph. shows getting hotter. And they go, yes. Yes. I, I see that you have that piece of information, but I don't really know whether or not I'm willing to accept that as a belief. And you go, oh, no, it doesn't really matter about whether you believe it or not. This isn't, this isn't a situation where you have to believe it. You kind of have to accept the, the, the priest class of systems thinkers who've put together this huge, this, this huge religion of math that says if you look at the, all these systems and how they come together and how they overlap and how their feedback loops feed upon one another, and you look upon that and you say, wait a minute, we're, the math on this looks really bad. I'm a priest class understander of that particular piece of information. So you're going to have to take to some extent the faith that that uh, the priest class of the climate 
is understanding the interpretation of God's message. And in this case, nature bats last. The only real God in the end is the environment that allows us to live. And when that environment stops allowing us to live, God's wrath is extinction. So, the discussions of political systems and religious systems, scientific systems, have a lot to do with human behavior and the cognitive mechanisms to keep us from hearing information that don't fit our model. This is this makes making policies very difficult, makes making sense, finding collective truth very difficult. But the mechanism of using concentrations of power to get that, to find out truth, to find didn't work, failed totally. At every level, the model given to us by the Catholic Church of how to run our, our educational systems, how to run our economic systems, how to run our religious systems, has failed to protect us from abrupt climate change. The very nature of those systems themselves needs to change. All systems need to change and adjust themselves to a new reality around a, a limited time frame, an envelope of a livable planet from which we can get as much accomplished as we need to as humanity. A work of societal art of no comparison. As we look at the universal condition and decide whether or not the human condition needs to go out bickering about whether or not some trivial piece of religious information is important or whether or not we are all going to go out in a way of great pride and collective energy for the benefit of all of us. Because when we start to see the death around us, there has to be something bigger that keeps us motivated and going further. And that something greater than all of us is the environment from which we are all dependent upon. And every living thing in that environment deserves to live. We've got to figure out how to figure that out. Hashtag freedom to kill. Ask the question of just what, what right do you have to kill anything? We all assume that the chicken that we're eating that day, we just simply have the right to kill that and eat it. Ask yourself each time you see something that you've directly killed, you'd be surprised what a typical car ride does to the insect population. And you have to ask yourself at what level is the killing going to end? And when is the next time that you're going to hear the word freedom said to you by someone who's in a position to kill you, the military, the police, etc., when they, these political entities, discuss freedom, what they're talking about is having the freedom to kill you to get what they want or protect with what they have. This freedom to kill has resulted in a huge amount of African-American uh, people being slaughtered by the police. <laughs> This freedom to kill, this justification to kill the criminals, part of some sort of larger uh, hashtag crime is not entertainment complex. And it turns out that the beginning of this entire podcast was the issues in association with uh, movie production being centrally controlled by a governmental entity of which there is no no way to figure out what they're doing, how they're doing it, who they're doing it to. This whole segment of the population is busted off and is just living in their own reality. 
their own privileged reality, while the rest of us struggle day in and day out for just the basic knowledges to, to survive. They have it all sitting on their databases. They haven't fixed climate change. The police state has simply not fixed climate change. They haven't done it. Concentrations of power will not work. We've been under a constant uh, onslaught of propaganda. Crime, hashtag crime is not entertainment. Says, what has crime been? It's been nothing more than a continuous onslaught of propaganda dumped on the American people with the intent of, of what? Protecting us from the evils of environmentalists. What we've seen is the collective usage of all of this mechanism to vilify environmentalists. The greatest accomplishment politically was to finally get Greenpeace to sell out and to have the entire mobilization strategy of PETA be attacked. And that anybody who says, oh, you know, black lives really don't matter, is, is fighting against the reality of trying to make any sort of statement against the establishment. It's almost impossible. I have protestprotest.com undeveloped. We need to get together. Hashtag instant radical change. And have the biggest protest of all time. 33 million for humanity. Turns out that's the magic number that we need to change everything. Join me, Matthew Chute. I'm Chute Chi, the climate Buddha. I have the solution to abrupt climate change and the solution to humanity's problem with itself.